This is the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Hockey is more than a game. It's a lifestyle. It's you, the diehard supportive fans, your favorite players who are on the team you cheer for and the organization who supports them. The companies that make your gear, bags, and beer league sweaters, the hockey moms and hockey dads, and everything else that makes this House of Hockey your home. Come on in. I'm Breezy. And I'm Ray Ray. And And this this is is our our house. house. Hey guys, welcome back to the House of Hockey podcast. This is episode 39. I was going to say 40. It's 39. (laughs) I am one of the hosts, Breezy. And I'm the other host, Ray Ray. And this week, we have a powerhouse of an interview. Uh, He, I mean, he's very well known in the hockey world, especially in the alumni as of right now. Alumni? 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 Alumni. Illuminati, I I think. I was thinking of Illuminati. (laughs) Oh gosh, that's where my head's at right now. Yeah. Anyway. Not not the Illuminati. You haven't had power. So, you know, yeah, the Illuminati have taken over your brain. The how did you even say it? You said it so magically. Illuminati. Illuminati. No. Illuminati. Illuminati. Yes. Illuminati. We make, we're inventing me. words here. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's us. Anywho. So he's an Illuminati of what team? <laughs> I'll let you finish. I know what team it is. I don't anymore. The, don't even the know Boston anymore. Bruins and the New York Rangers. Uh, yes. He's a ho- hockey hall of famer. We totally buried the lead there. Uh, he's a hockey hall of famer. He's one of the 100 greatest players ever. Defenseman, fighter, sweetheart, really, even though he'd probably be mad that we said that, but he's the nice guy ever. Brad Park is joining us this episode for an incredible conversation yeah and it was so much fun to talk to him and I feel really bad that I just messed up this whole entire intro for someone so legendary but you know what that's the kind of you know page we're on after the interview with Brad and it was so much fun but the conversation with Brad was so fascinating because he played Um, hockey he was drafted in the mid to late 60s so it was such a different time than everybody is is so familiar with at least most of you all listening like it's just a totally different era of hockey Um, I mean the you know the game is is the same in some respects though Brad does argue what he does and does not like about today's game and uh, Mm -hmm. gives you very legit strategic reasons why he's such a student of the game uh he shares hilarious stories about time with his teammates and traveling on the road he shares his favorite memory which is going to surprise some people that it wasn't um related to a, a memory when he played with the nhl so yeah it was great he's the the conversation and the stories like we just scratched the surface with him we really did and we're really excited for you guys to hear it um so stay tuned for that (laughs) yes (laughs) you're gonna love it brad's uh brad's great 
where did you go motocross racing? What was that dune buggy? What the <laughs> fuck is that called? Where were you? What did you do? That was this last is what weekend. we're doing, guys, by the way, because there is no hockey. I was, yeah, it was so much fun. We, uh, it, it was Thanksgiving weekend, so I ended up uh, leaving uh, Saturday morning, and my nephew's girlfriend, her name is Sarah, she actually uh, proposed for us to, to create a new segment, which we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, her family goes to the desert quite often. They're, they're little desert rats, I guess is what they're called. Uh, I have no idea if that's true or not, but we're going to, we're going to go with it. Um, so they invited us to come out and hang for the day and go, uh, go for a couple rides. And it was, what is so it much called? Fun. Uh, that was a Can-Am. So it's like basically a race car on dirt, I would say. I mean, it was awesome. The suspension's cool. Uh, yeah, we, it was, I don't know. It was so much fun. I can't even describe it. I'm definitely probably going to buy myself one now. Uh, she's constantly like sending me uh, these like listings and whatnot. So it, it's going to happen. Uh, I just got to find the right one. So so we have decided to swap segments this week. So usually I do shut the front door and Breezy does Breezy's barbecue pit. So we're gonna f- we're gonna flip this week. Breezy's a barbecue pit. Yeah. So this involves food. It doesn't necessarily involve barbecue, though. We did. There is food. So I went to a dinner, and um, I went to a, a family friend of mine who's like an uncle to me. You know, I, I call him Uncle Neil, but uh, we're not actually related, but, um, that kind of relationship. And he lives in, um, Beverly Hills and lives in a big fancy house and had me over for, uh, dinner with, um, just two other people. So small group and we kept our distance and the whole thing. And, uh, he told me to bring a, a, a dessert. So I, I brought, a pecan pie that my other uncle had made that was frozen that I hadn't eaten. I thought I'll find a time to take this pecan pie somewhere. So I bring my re-gifted pecan pie to his house with vanilla ice cream. And I get there and I bring in my pie and I'm all proud and like, oh great, I brought the only dessert for tonight. So we go into the kitchen and he's like, look at who that box is from on the kitchen counter. And I'm reading it and it says like, dear uh, Neil and Kevin, that's his husband, uh, happy holidays, season's greetings, Tom Cruise. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm sorry. Tom, you know, Tom Cruise, he sent you a Christmas cake and he sent him a cake. He sent him like some fancy coconut cream cake. I'm like, Tom Cruise one fucking upped my pecan pie. That was a re-gifted gift. I look like such an asshole. Of course, Tom Cruise today of all the days decides to send his giant coconut cream cake on the day that I'm supposed to bring dessert. And on top of that, there was a third dessert that the chef that had come had made. So there was a cobbler, there was my pecan (laughs) pie, not even my pie. And uh, 
Tom Cruise's coconut cream cake. <laughs> so Tom Cruise stole your thunder. Yep. Not everyone can say that. I know. And he doesn't even know he did it. Did you at least try any of the desserts? Oh, I had all, I tried all three, of course. Oh, good. And whose was better? Yours, I bet. Well, it depends on, it was such a varying degree of desserts. Uh, They did really enjoy the pecan pie. They did say it was really good. And the coconut cream cake was, was really good. I mean, I've, I've never had. Tom Cruise had made it. Yeah. Like he paid (laughs) like a bakery to make like. 10,000 of these that he ships to everybody you know that he's worked oh, with man. so no I, th- I think that he probably made all of them himself yeah yeah we're totally. gonna go with that and like this is just like a snippet of my life like <laughs> amounts of crazy stuff that happens like non-hockey related this is it but so since it was food related I thought it will make it breezy's barbecue even though it doesn't really there apply shut the front door i'm gonna say this because i kind of know the guy a wee bit jake paul yes evander kane what's going on with this evander kane i mean is his name a household well-known name in the hockey world when you think of hockey am i thinking of evander kane no do you think he's doing it to try to get, you know, to pump his own tires and make himself puff up his chest or whatever? Or do you think that he's doing it because he really thinks he can beat Jake Paul? Both. Probably. Both. I mean, his name is Evander, like Evander Holyfield. I'm pretty sure that's true. He might, well, he might be named after him. He might not, but he loves to talk shit. Like with Revo. Yeah. Okay, but, but I I'm didn't thinking, know. Like, I let me just say this. I didn't even know who the hell Jake Paul fucking was until Evander Kane started saying like, "I'll fight that whatever guy." I'm like, who's yeah. this Jake Paul? I don't really. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've worked with him in the past. Like, I know the guy. <laughs> he lives really close to me. So it, you it's like one actually know him? Like, I don't know Tom Cruise, but you actually know Jake Paul. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to say I actually know him. I've been in his presence of multiple times. I think I might have spoken one or two words to him. I'm not going to say I know the guy because then like someone's going to be like, well, you don't really know him. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not friends well, with him. Let's just say that. What's the backstory of why, of how did Evander King get involved with this? He just tweeted he at was... him that he would beat him up because he lost a fight or something? Well, no, Jake Paul talks a lot of crap and like he says that now he's coming after people and this and that and like he KO'd some dude. So then Evander Kane just kind of like, yeah, so Evander Kane just came up and, you know, was was going at it or whatever. I don't know. And then Max Domi kind of chimed in a little bit saying like, hey, buddy, slow down to Jake (laughs) Paul. And then freaking Biz Nasty shows up and he's saying, and now I'm thinking to myself, I was like, I feel like I would rather see Biz and Evander fight. And who would win on that? Who would you say? Mm, I would say Evander, just because Biz has been out of the game a little while now. Not that he's soft. I'm going to say Biz, though. I'm going with Biz. Because, I mean, I feel like he just can be like, oh, this is my time. I I, got to make this count. And I got to make all of Arizona proud. I'm just going to boom. One and done. That's what I'm going with. 
I was a little like, this freaking guy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Anyway. I agree. He shouldn't mess with hockey players. Nope. No, I was thinking Evander Kane. I mean. Oh, Evander, Jake not Paul. Jake Paul. Jake Paul was like, who is this guy? He plays for the San Jose Sharks. Is that an aquatic animal in San Jose? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it was so funny. And I'm just like, it's true. Because at the same point, I mean, unless you're a fan of the Sharks or we're, we're a fan in, in Buffalo of him, uh, I, I mean, I don't think he's a, a really well-known, popular name. Sorry mm-hmm. for any of those fans. And, and if you are ever listening, I'm sorry. Uh, I just, I just couldn't wrap my head around and i was like you're coming after some guy who i mean he's an internet like he's he's a huge like influencer i guess is what you can say jake paul is and so it's like i don't know it, it just kind of was it was weird right. it was weird hey i mean evander's been you know not very busy because he didn't have any That's off-season true. action and you know what else the guy got to do yeah, and I'm not sticking up for Jake Paul. I'm not a Jake Paul fan. Let's just be real. I'm just stating this whole thing that's going down, and I'm just like, uh, 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 okay. Yeah. So shut the front door of Ander Kane, all right? Stick to yeah. stick to what you know. Stick to stick who to you hockey. know. Our new segment um, is something that. I'm going to rewind it again. My nephew's girlfriend, Sarah, suggested we do. She is a podcast listener of ours. Uh, She's very dedicated. She always likes to talk to me about it. Uh, It's super awesome. She thinks that we should be doing a little clip of Unpopular Opinions Hockey Edition. So what other way to start it off other than we have a... OG hockey player coming on here shortly, Brad Park. Brad used to play in the game with no helmets. Zero helmets. Now, the game was a little bit different, a little slower paced, I would say, but they hit, you know, knuckles, knuckles pretty hard. No, no face mask, nothing like that. I mean, he tells us a story. I mean, you got skates going to heads and whatnot. And then you have art. Our game today, fast-paced, heavy hits, they're still going, you know, knuckle to knuckle pretty hard. Who do you think is the tougher, the tougher game, the tougher crowd? Do you think that guys back in the uh the 60s are more tough than our guys today? Yes. Or no? My unpopular opinion is going to be that the guys of the Brad Park era in the, the 70s are way tougher than today. First of all, they played, a lot of them played like wasted most of the time (laughs) or not with no helmets, with the endurance and the like fighting was way more common and allowed back then than it is today. We hardly see it in today's game. Um, And they just loved it. They loved the game. They didn't wear like nearly the pads and they're getting thrown into like 
real wood boards. Like, I don't even think the boards are made of wood anymore. They're made of like poly, whatever, something, you know, like that shit hurts. I, my unpopular opinion is that the guys of the olden days of hockey are way tougher. I'm going to agree with you on that. I, I can't even wrap my head around playing the sport with the gear that they used to wear. I mean, you got to figure Nothing. they're there. It was, yeah. And it was, it wasn't the today's technology and whatnot. The no, the no face shield or helmet or anything like that, that stresses me out. Um, so I'm going to go with the older guys. They're, uh, they're definitely more tough than, than today's for sure. Yeah. I think, I think tough is the important word here because harder I would say today's game is harder from an endurance physicality Mm -hmm. of of the game um but that is reflected in today's training methods of of like they're all into not all of them but a lot of them are into like very into the diet and the food and Mm -hmm. how to really make your body into an endurance machine that can handle the speed and the fastness of the dump and chase style of play today. Um, and not the physical toughness of like the game of, of yesteryears. Right. Well said. All right. Well said. And there we have it. (laughs) Brad Park, make sure you stick through to the end of the interview because he has some wise words for all of today's hockey players, and it has to do with toughness. Proud to be on the Hockey Podcast Network, and the network is home to many other incredible podcasts, including this one. Hello and welcome. My name is Brad Lieb. I am a former professional hockey player, and this is the Life After Hockey podcast. This is the place where I'll be interviewing former players and exploring their life after hockey journeys, including their successes, challenges, and the causes that they are passionate about. So please join me on the Hockey Podcast Network every Saturday for new episodes and follow me on Twitter at Brad M. Lieb for all my podcast updates. And until then, keep going and enjoy your life. This week, we have more hockey royalty joining us, more like a step above hockey royalty uh, because he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, a nine-time All-Star, we think, one of the 100 greatest NHL players in history. He was drafted number two overall in 1966 by the New York Rangers. He was a captain for the Rangers. He played 17 years in the NHL. He's currently the 13th all time in NHL history in defense scoring. Welcome, Brad Park. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Pleasure to be here. Holy cow, those are a ton of hockey accomplishments. And we're going to get into a lot of that. But first, how's your golf game? Because that's what you've been doing a lot in in your post-hockey career, right? 
Well, during the winter, I you know I, I spend the the winter in Florida, so I do play quite a bit down here, and uh, I have moments of greatness, and just wish I had more of them. So moments of greatness, then, yeah. <laughs> not a full full on great golf game. Well, you, some days it's very good, and some days it's very bad. And when it's very good, I make a little money, and when it's very bad, I lose a little money. Oh yeah, that's but the money makes it interesting. Yeah. It's hard That's to true. play for nothing. That's true. But there's never a bad day when you're playing golf, right? No, no. They're, yeah. they're really, <laughs> the weather may be bad, but, you know, uh, it, it keeps you, it keeps you occupied. And uh, as I uh, used to joke, you know, you know, for five or six hours, it keeps you out of a bar. <laughs> yeah. It's true. <laughs> so you have to look at the positive side. Yep. Always, yeah. always. Cause you can't always hit them straight. Well, you try to, and they go straight in maybe not the right direction, but sometimes they go straight dead left to dead right. I think they call that hooking and slicing. Yeah, and then, and then the helicopters show up. That's when you throw throw your club and it goes boom, 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 boom. I love it. Well, I think before we even dive into some of your career, people you've played with, paint us a picture for us you know, because Breezy and I grew up watching a different kind of hockey than one that you played. So paint a picture of what that time of hockey was like from on ice to off ice and that lifestyle. Well, I, I think you have to understand uh, when I first got drafted back in the, in the 60s, um, the NHL had this stereotype that uh, junior hockey, see Canada had junior hockey, they didn't have uh, college, uh, college hockey wasn't big. And the reason for that was there was no athletic scholarships in Canada. So all the best hockey was played in junior. And uh, the NHL at that time, two things where they really didn't go was they weren't really interested in college players because they had it in their mind that if a player went to college was because he couldn't, he wasn't good enough to play junior hockey. And the other uh, stereotype they had was Europeans uh, could not play at the, you know, at the, uh, the aggressive nature of the hockey in North, in North America. So at that time, through the 60s, very few college players were coming in and definitely no Europeans. And uh, when I got drafted, there was only six teams and <clears throat> they had a 16-year-old draft. And the reason they had a 16-year-old draft is probably in the early 60s, uh, they didn't have a draft. And they found that all the French kid, the good French-Canadian players were signing C-forms for $100 with the Montreal Canadiens. And all the English-Canadians were signing c for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So the four American teams, which were Chicago, Detroit, Boston, New York, weren't getting a shot at the, the most talented Canadian players. And they needed a senior-old draft in order to draft a player, promising player, put them on their junior hockey teams because the NHL owned the junior teams and groom them through junior and get them up through their system that way. Uh, I was the last year of that 16-year-old draft and they realized that uh, – at 16, they really didn't know what would happen. 
Okay. And one of the reasons uh, I was probably a perfect example at 15, I was five foot tall and uh, I wasn't on anybody's radar. And then the next year I grew 10 inches and it still took me six months for my coordination to come back because of my, my new height and size, but they realized that 16 was too, you really couldn't divide. You really couldn't pick them because they weren't turning out. So they changed the draft to 20. So I was the last year of the 16 year old draft. And uh, I was actually 17 at the time. And I'd finished my first uh, year of junior hockey. And uh, the New York Rangers had second pick uh, of the six teams. And uh, they picked me with their, uh, so I was the second pick in the first round. Uh, The Boston Bruins had first pick and passed on me even though they had a scout uh, that told them uh, that I was the guy. But the Bruins were cheap. It cost $3,000 to draft a guy. And they wanted the $3,000 to go to their junior team. So they drafted a fellow named Barry, a defenseman named Barry Gibbs out of uh, the Estevan Bruins in Manitoba, so or Saskatchewan. And uh, so I, I could have been in Boston from day one with Bobby Orr, but I ended up in New York, and uh, which was really a blessing. Uh, wow. with Emil Francis and, and the team they had at that time. What was it like playing in New York at that time? Like just the glo- like the glory days of New York. Were you guys popular? Did did people care in New York? Like could you were you recognized everywhere you went? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I could walk down the street in New York and nobody would even recognize your annoying me. New York had two baseball teams, two basketball teams, two football teams. They had Broadway stars, everything like that. So hockey was well down the totem pole. And uh, But they have a tremendous fan base of Ranger fans, uh, you know, which were uh, – that building would rock. Uh, the original Madison Square Gardens was done by uh, the same – architecture firm that did the Boston Gardens. So they were like identical buildings. And then when I got there, they had just opened up the new building where it is now. And that was the, uh, you know, uh, 17,000 seating capacity. And uh, they could get that building to rock like you wouldn't believe. I've heard it actually shakes. Well, it's on the fifth floor, so I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) You don't realize that there's a train station. Penn Station is under it. So uh, in those days, uh, uh, we we lived in a community about an hour outside of New York and on Long Island called Long Beach. And the reason was that was a summer community, so we could rent those houses because we were all basically Canadian, and we had a visa from September to June, so we could rent those places for the season. Uh, but it was an hour outside of uh, New York and we'd have to drive in or take the train in. So, uh, and we only went into the city for the games. Did you, was there a practice arena there? We did. We went, we went to, uh, there was a rink on Long Island uh, uh, in New Hyde Park called Skateland. And when you went there, the, the ice was like this, you know, it, was, <laughs> it had frost heave and everything. And I remember I get called up my first time and I was staying in a hotel downtown and I had to ride out 
with the trainers and the equipment. I had to ride in the back with the equipment out to uh, practice. And being a rookie, I'm helping the trainers unload the, um, the bags. And I take them into the, the rink. And uh, Jimmy Young, one of the trainers, he's standing at a doorway and he's throwing the, the bags down these stairs to the basement. And uh, I walked in and I said, Jimmy, I said, uh, why don't you turn the lights on? He says, I'm not turning the lights on till the rats leave. Dead serious. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we had, oh, a little, we, we had a little dressing room down there and they broke uh, through the foundation and took out a whole bunch of dirt and created a shower. We had to step through the cement wall into the shower. So, you know, what you think of the NHL. You don't think that. You don't think that. I mean, coming, yeah. growing up in Toronto and, and seeing how well the Maple Leafs were treated and everything, going to New York and, and it just, you know, this ice rink that went like this. And, uh, you know, the dressing room in the basement. It was quite an experience. I bet. Jeez. What was the, like, a day in the life of you playing, you know, back then? I mean, I feel like now, I mean, we've talked to a couple, uh, you know, former players before, but more more recent former players. And it seems like their schedule was somewhat similar to, to NHL players today, but you know, when you were playing, how, I mean, you, like you said, there, you only traveled to the city to play, to play games. How, how was your routine um, going into practice and whatnot? Well, we would. Um, you weren't drinking our, beers before, right? Well, we tried <laughs> not to, but no, no, we never, never, you know, I mean, it's one thing I learned really early on is, you know, you don't have a, a beer until your work's done. And, uh, the interesting thing was the, the day of the game, if we were playing at home, uh, we'd get up in the morning and we would carpool in. Uh, we'd probably leave about uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, and we'd drive depending on traffic because we'd have a 10.30 uh, uh, meeting or 10.30 skate and an 11 o'clock meeting at the day, on the day of a game. So we'd leave there in at least an hour and a half to make sure you got there, depending on traffic. And you'd go there and at 10.30, you'd have a skate if you wanted. It was a pretty much optional. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, if you wanted to go, you did. And uh, then you would have a meeting at 11 o'clock and then you'd uh, prepare your sticks, et cetera. Then you'd walk across the street to uh, uh, the hotel. We had a hotel across the street, and we'd have a game meal. And every game meal was baked potato, salad, baked potato, uh, steak, green ball bearings, which were peas, and ice cream with chocolate sauce. That was the meal. Ooh. And then you'd have a nap, and then you'd walk back across the street to the rink for the game that night. Uh, in the meantime, the guy, the wives would carpool in for the game, and then you'd be able, to, you know, you, everybody would have vehicles to go home after. Yeah. What was it like having a relationship and playing hockey at the time? Is it the same as it is today for the guys, where you sort of and like, and then raising kids on top of that, you know? Um, yeah, it, it, it is the same. I mean, number one. Uh, you know, money's a, it was a huge factor. I mean, uh, uh, my first year as a number number one pick is uh, 
I made $10,000 a year. That was my first year salary. That's a lot of wow. money, though. It is, I made, yeah. But I made 11000 my next year. <laughs> oh, big spender. <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, it wasn't It wasn't until 72 when the WHA came in that, you know, salaries, uh, you, you, you had a chance to barter and, and raise your income level. I couldn't imagine making, you know, ten or eleven thousand dollars a year and living in New York, like that blows my mind. Well, you, you have to understand that and this is kind of a cute story. The first year, uh, so I get uh, the Rangers sent me to uh, Buffalo for uh, a couple of months. So I'm there for 17 games and I have 14 points and uh, you know 51 minutes and penalties and you know young and you know. I, I was very good at initiating conflicts. And uh, so they called me up and uh, Walter Kachuk, uh, who I played against in junior, he and I get a place to rent together in Long Beach and it was $200 a month. And uh, then we come up with the idea that we went to Emil Francis. We said, cat, uh, you know, you call people up and you have to put them in a hotel. Well, we've got a three bedroom place. If you call people up, they can stay with us and we can give them a ride to and from practice, et cetera, if you pick up a third of our rent, <laughs> which, which he did. So it was only costing, you know, 67 bucks a month, which was pretty good. Oh, my gosh. Hey, times That's were crazy. tight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite, like, memory or game or story from your time with the Rangers before we talk about that transition to the Bruins? I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you a couple of stories. One, one was, uh, yes, Walter, so and I, Walter and I, uh, we went out for uh, a few beers after practice one day and we're about seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. We had to bite to eat and we're heading back and we're driving over the bridge from Island Park into Long Beach. And as we pull over on the main drag, uh, all of a sudden, we got a police officer behind us. And the police officer pulls us over, Walter's driving. And uh, he says, uh, out of the vehicle. And we get out. And he looks his uh, license and registration. And he gets the license from Walter. And he says, what the is this? You want me to believe that your name is Walter <laughs> and you're from South Porcupine, Ontario? Are you kidding me? Well, I'm, I'm laughing, right? And he says, I can't even write that. I'm not giving you anything unless it's go. No. So we get in the vehicle. And we go up and we make a right on another main drag. And Walter says, can you believe that guy? And what he said about my name and where I'm from? I said, yeah. I said, that was unbelievable. And we go along another mile. And I was like, boop, 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 boop. Oh, and no. another police officer pulls us over mm -mm. out of the vehicle, gets the license. What the? <laughs> you want me to leave your name? is <laughs> And you're from no. South Port. Now I'm rolling on the grass. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> he let us go. Right. So I always remind Walter that story. Oh but my he, god. 
Now, Walter has a dry uh, sense of humor. And uh, our first year, we, uh, we took our signing bonuses. We bought brand new Dodge Charger, 1969 Dodge Chargers, the Duke of Hazard car, right? Nice car. These babies could hump. Okay. And so anyways, uh, Walter goes to practice one day and he, we're, we're rushing to get there on New Year's Day for practice because we'd been out New Year's Eve and his car got stolen because he left the keys in the door. He was in such a hurry to get to practice. So I'm driving our car and we come back about two weeks later and we come back on uh, Air Canada on a charter and we arrive in Kennedy Airport about two o'clock in the morning. And we get in my car and we pull out of the parking lot and you have two lanes. One goes this way, one goes that way. And there's a U-turn. And I pull in behind this uh, like 1956 Dodge DeSoto with the big wing tips on it and all the lights down the thing. And I'm waiting for, he's waiting for the cars to go. And he's waiting and waiting, and all the cars go. And I said, come on, come on, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. we got to get home and get some rest. And he goes about three feet. He, he starts to go, and I hit the gas. He went three feet and stalled. Installed. Bang, I hit him in the rear. Oh. I said, that son of a bitch, I'm going to kick. And I get out my door, and Walter gets out his door. And the four doors on this Dodge DeSoto open up and about eight Hispanic guys get out with the biggest driver you ever saw, like six foot four, six foot five. And I look, my mouth's wide open. And before I can do anything, Walter yells, our fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh saying you guys. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> No. Oh my God! Oh, that's too funny. Those are so, good. Yeah. So it's a life is pleasure sometimes. Yeah. Well, absolutely. How pleasurable was it for you though when you got traded to Boston? Because I don't think it was that uh, welcoming, was it? Considering that the Rangers and the Bruins, you guys were pretty big rivals. So, what was it like when you walked into that dressing room for the first time? Uh, as a Bruin, not a, not a way, you know, being a ranger. <laughs> I used to, um, I used to get a police escort. FBI used to escort me from the dressing room to the ice, and from the ice to the dressing room whenever I went to Boston. As a, as a ranger. As a ranger. Oh my so God! I was public enemy number one. I, I'd written a book and I'd criticized the Boston Garden, and uh, I said something that. You'd, didn't think it was very nice about Bobby Orr at that time, but New York and Boston hate each other. You had the Yankees and the Red Sox, you had the Knicks and the Celtics, and New York and Boston had this love to hate each other attitude. So um, I was public enemy number one, and uh, then I got traded to uh, to Boston, and uh, it was like. I hate Boston. Why would I want to? Be? I didn't want to go there, right? Just as Phil Esposito didn't want to go to New York, I didn't want to go to Boston. And uh, but I, the first, the last game I played for the Rangers was in uh, Vancouver, 
and John Rattel and I, and Ratty was first star and I was second star. And then our first, we went to Oakland and then we had to come back to Vancouver and I played my first game for the Bruins in Vancouver. And, uh, and Bobby Orr was just coming back. And uh, so walking in the dressing room, uh, it was it was quite an experience. I mean, uh, most of the guys that I had real, a lot of beefs with weren't there anymore. Uh, you know, some of them, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, they'd gone to the WHA or whatever, or they'd moved on. So uh, I'm probably the only guy that cut Terry O'Reilly and got away with it. Oh, do tell. Tell us more. And, and, uh, <laughs> playing in New York uh, the year before, and I'm carrying the puck out, and Terry O'Reilly is coming from my left side, and I make a pass, and all of a sudden, there he is, and I have to move my left foot, and he's on all fours. He's on all fours right by my leg, and I take his head, and I jam it into the ice, and I split him right here. And he gets up and comes after me, and we end up wrestling, and now we're on uh, in a pileup, and everybody's on top of us, and I'm on the bottom, and Terry and I are nose to nose, and he's bleeding on me, and he says, "You jammed my head in the ice." I says, "You damn right I did. You tried to fall on my ankle." He says, "I did not. I'm just clumsy." <laughs> right. So now, so oh now. Gosh. For the rest of that game, we played him two more times. Terry is running at me, and I am, I am dancing and jumping like a ballerina to get out of the way. <laughs> so the next year, before we play each other, I get traded to Boston, and I go around. I'm meeting all the guys in the dressing room, and I come up to Terry, and I said, Hey, Taz, how are you? And I, I put out my hand. And he puts his hand out and he pulls it back. He says, I owe you. And I said, yeah, you probably do. <laughs> right. And oh, no. <laughs> once, once a month, while we played together, once a month in practice, he would cold cock me, knock me on my ass. And I'd look up and I'd say, are you even yet? He said, nope, not yet. <laughs> so oh, all because I thought he fell on my ankle. <gasps> oh. Oh and my. times were different back then because you you didn't wear wear helmets correct so it's uh yeah it's tough yeah i mean the uh, you know helmets uh, came in mandatory in 1979 so i mean i i, I went to 85 I, I never played with a helmet i just didn't like the feel and uh and the other thing too is that the uh guys tend to keep their sticks down if they know you don't have a helmet, right? And guys with helmets, you know, you could go like, you, you, you go into the corner and you go right on top of the helmet. You weren't going to hurt them, but you'd put them on notice. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't do that to you. Oh, well, but they did. At times they did. They went boom. Well, why don't we why don't we talk about Bobby Orr and, and your guys' relationship? Because when you came to the Bruins, he was still a part of the team for a couple of games, but you guys fought each other, you 
technically have played together, you know, for a short period of time. So how do you, how did you describe your relationship with him back then? Like you hated each other or <laughs> like a mutual respect or what was it like? I think we were very competitive. Uh, the, uh, uh, he was such a great player. I mean, he was just an amazing player. Uh, and I was good, but he was the best. And uh, to this day, there's never been anybody like him. Uh, he revolutionized the game. He had this amazing skating ability where you could change speeds two or three times. Great sense of the puck. Terrific shot. Um, and, I mean, I've experienced it at times. They wouldn't say all the time. Uh, but I think that he saw the game in slow motion. Uh, that's how... And at times it, it appeared slow motion to me too, uh, but but not all the time, you know. Especially when there's a six foot three, real bad guy on your tail, uh, going going back to get the puck. But we, uh, when I got to Boston, the Bruins were in last place, and Bobby had been out, and he was just coming back. So uh, uh, we lost the first game in Vancouver, and then we went on a streak uh, for the next nine games. Um, and then his knee acted up again on him. Uh, we didn't, the game plan was simple, was the idea that one of us would be on the ice all the time, except on the power play, we would both be on. And wow. we had, we'd have Rattel and Busick and Cashman up front. And uh, in those 10 games, I think the power play was operating around 50%, uh, which is unheard of. And uh, Don Cherry used to give us heck because we'd be back and forth across the point, out of the point, moving it. And he'd be, one of you, please, just one of you, shoot the damn puck. And, uh, <laughs> but with the other thing was it was so successful because of Busick and Cashman and Rattel, all the guy, all the three guys, the forwards were good with the puck. They could thread the pass. They were patient. They never rushed it. And that was uh, a key. You know, all the passes, uh, you know, over sticks, through skates, everything like that. So uh, just amazing fivesome to be on a power play with. Yeah, jaw-dropping. Yeah, well, and, then, and then exactly. we were going to Chicago after 10 games. And uh, I'm walking down the ramp to get on the plane, and Bobby's walking off the plane. And I said, this is not good. And uh, he had uh, his knee had acted up again, and he uh, he had exposed uh, nerves because of cartilage on his knee, and uh, so he was in extreme pain and swelling. And that year, he uh, he never came back. Uh, and Don Cherry played my you know played me so much that uh, we continued by Christmas. We were in first place and. We went right through for that and had a great season. So, but there was a lot of, there was more talent on that team than, than people give us credit for. You know, guys like uh, Busick Cashman, Greg Shepard, uh, Bobby Schmatz, good characters. Terry O'Reilly uh, was the heart and soul of the team. So it was, a, it was uh, such a fun dressing room with all these guys. It was great. I mean, in New York was too, we were close. Uh, in New York and uh, found the same atmosphere with these guys in Boston. I mean, locker rooms are, are the, 
the heart and soul of uh, of any team, right? Is, is being able to to connect with your with your teammates. But I mean, when you watch a hockey game, it seems so flawless and seamless on the ice. Like things just flow and happen. Um, and for you, like what goes through your mind when you're, you know, speeding down the ice and you have to make these incredible passes and these plays, like what goes through your mind? Cause I think in our eyes, it's like, it's just instantaneously, but there's a lot of thought that goes into it into like split seconds. Once, once you learn the, uh, what works and what doesn't work, you have to realize that the, the timing of offense, first of all, um, I have a hard time with today's game because I find it like a chip and go game and it was a long stretch pass and tip in and then you got to go get the puck. Um, and my era was a puck control game. So you came up the ice with more puck control, more East West passing as you came up. So by the time you get to the other team's blue line, you have numbers and you have speed and you have puck control when you hit that blue line. And the idea is, you know, sometimes you're forced to make a pass. And the idea being, you make a pass if you're going to beat somebody. If you, if you make a pass that doesn't beat anybody, it's almost a wasted pass. So the idea is you get up there and say, okay, you got to hold it, hold it, hold it. Now, that's when the pass goes. And if you pass it, just for example, on a two-on-one, if you're going up the ice and you make a pass before you get to that defenseman, that pass doesn't beat anybody. That's a wasted pass and a potential turnover. But if you get to the defenseman and the pass beats the defenseman so that even as he turns, he can't catch the guy you passed it to, that's a good pass. So the timing of that pass is, is very important. And all players, whether it was my era or today, they know to skate to the holes. And the idea is that, you know, if you get the puck there too soon, that's a problem. If you get it there too late, it's a problem. So you got to get the puck to that hole, and he has to be there. That's his job. A little room for air there. <laughs> well, the, 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 the idea is that do you have enough time to hold until he gets there? Hmm. Sometimes you got to lay it with, with it, like, off, take some speed off it, so it's going to be there when he gets there. So wow. you're quite the student of the game. Did you not like you never wanted to coach or anything after your time playing? I coached three months in Detroit. They gave me a last place team oh, and I was good. I was good enough to keep it there. Right. <laughs> Come on. That's not enough time. That's not enough time. Uh, well, I think it's got a little political in Detroit at that time. And uh, uh, I had uh, so when I got fired, uh, it was more politics that John manager and I weren't getting along. Uh, I thought I knew more than him and he thought he knew more than me. And uh, I had played the game and he had not never played the game. So uh, so I thought I might be a better evaluator of talent, et cetera. But, it's, but it got political. And uh, at that time, uh, I had five kids. Uh, wow. Uh, and my, my second son... Uh, has cerebral palsy and he's in a wheelchair. And I had to make a decision uh, to tr possibly travel around the country to do hockey management or hockey coaching 
or get out of hockey. And I chose to get out of hockey and move back to the Boston area. And all my kids went through the same high school and it was just great. Yeah. Don't want to get into it now that the kids are grown. I'm a little too old for that stuff now. Oh, come on. Everybody, look, some of your, your former coaches was broadcasting for a long time. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, it's kind of things where I can talk it and, uh, you know, I hear people, I've talked to former players and say, you can't bring, you know, what you know from the past to the present day game. Uh, I kind of disagree a little bit because uh, two-on-one hasn't changed and, a hundred years and a three on two hasn't changed in a hundred years. There's only certain ways to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, the idea is uh, I've asked former defensemen, active defensemen, college defense, everything. I said, okay, when you're, when you're going back to get the puck, what's the first thing you do? And uh, they've said, uh, I read the play. Okay. How do you do that? Well, I look. Great. What do you look at? What do you mean? I said, you're going back to get the puck. You have only have time to look at for one thing. What's the one thing you have to look for? I said, well, I look where my teammates are. I said, eh, wrong. You know where your teammates are going to be. They're going to be on the boards. There's going to be one up the center. So you know where they are. Well, I look where those guys are or you know you look at the guy coming and eh, wrong right i said you know that guy's coming there's nothing harder in the world than to be a defenseman and go back and get that puck with a six foot three a-hole on your tail with a bad attitude and try to be creative right that's the toughest job in the world i said you have to know what you're going to do with the puck when you get there. So you only have time to look for one thing and you have to look for the second guy. And the second guy, if he's falling in behind the first guy, then the puck's got to go around the boards the other way. But if the second guy is going over to the other side, then you're going to have to reverse the puck because there's going to be nobody over here and there's two guys over there. So you only have time to look at one thing. That's what you look at. And that kind of um, uh, philosophy, you know, is, is key to understanding what works in the game and why it works. I think Breezy and I are ready with that lesson. We're ready to play now. <laughs> yep, I think we're good. Not, go. not even put close, bro. Put us in, coach. <laughs> yeah, we're ready. You could coach us. <laughs> yeah. Do you have skates? <laughs> we can get them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll make That's it happen. <laughs> I don't have any. I, I don't have any skates. What? You're done. You 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 hung them up and you literally hung them up. You don't you don't well, go back on the ice. Yeah, a number of years ago, I had my knees replaced, so I don't have the stability down in my knees anymore. Yeah. That's. That's why golf is a good place to be, huh? New right. similar transition, kind of swing and not really it's completely different i've i played golf i do know that sure <laughs> so i do know sure. that sure. that is nothing like hockey um yeah. e except for the fun times that are had there but uh yeah. yeah i mean there's all kinds of tricks in the game and you know that you can teach 
uh, you know, if you're asked. And uh, so I thought about doing some of that, uh, you know, teaching, but uh, the opportunity hasn't come around. What do you think is the, if you were to give one tip to a, a future player or someone that's currently playing now, what is like the one thing you would say to them to help them in their career, whether that's, you know, what they're, what they're playing, what their mentality, what their physicality, anything like that? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, never be, never to look at the puck when you have possession of it. You know, mm. you can't, your head's on a swivel. You should be able to have the puck and look anywhere and never look at the puck. Feel it on your blade. And uh, that's, the, you know, the main thing. Uh, then, you know, you work on your, your skills in handling the puck and uh, et cetera. There's, uh, uh, I mean, they do a lot of drills that way. Uh, you know, but, you know, trying to do that, uh, I, I get a kick out of the uh, all-star game where they go in on the goaltenders. They do all these crazy moves, right? You know, it's like, right. And, and uh, those moves they do is you never do them in a game. Right. Right. And, but they got to, they practice them for something they'll never use. They don't understand that. Right. It was like, you know, I could never flip the puck high in the air, right? To flip it out of the zone. I could never do it, right? Until I got one of those uh, new carbon sticks and then it was easy, right? But I, I don't like the carbon stick because the blades are too lively. You know, as soon as you take a pass and it bounces over your stick and then you got to re-get it, you just lost your scoring opportunity. So uh, that kind of drives me crazy a little bit. When you were in the all-star games, were, were, were they doing crazy tricks and shots or was it just a straight up game? <laughs> it was just a straight up game. Yeah. And uh, the winning team got a thousand bucks and the losing team got 500 and uh, we'd all throw in uh, uh, 20, 20 bucks to the guy to get the winning goal uh, on your team. So, I mean, a lot of the scores were three, two, two, one, you know, four, three, Four two, they weren't high scoring games like they are now. Were there a lot of uh, prank, you know, pranks in the locker room with players and jokes amongst the players? Is is the thing we hear a lot about with the current guys and in the mm -hmm. recent years? Was that still a thing that existed when you played with like, oh, yeah. putting shaving cream in people's shoes and taking laces out and like you know doing that kind of stuff? Yeah, we used to have, you know, the initiation where you, you shave guys and things like that. You know, we'd, uh, we'd go on the road and uh, we'd have a, a rookie a rookie would walk into his room and there'd be three cases of beer on ice. And he knew exactly why. Because there was going to be a meeting in that room and he, you know, he was going to get barbered. <laughs> Did you ever have anybody prank you? Um, not really. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, not to that extent that it would be embarrassing. Uh, I did do something to Wayne Cashman, though. Uh, Cash was big into uh, uh, cowboy boots. 
So we went on this road trip, and I was his roommate. And he was a wonderful guy, great roommate. And uh, uh, we went on this road trip, and he went out, and he, he bought these cowboy boots. He brought them back, and he, he said, you like these boots? He's just the greatest. Snake. You go, don't touch it. And, uh, he'd be going around. So his first day, he went <coughs> around, and uh, he went to everybody. And, uh, you know, don't touch him. It'll bite you. And uh, so I was uh, downstairs with him. I had somebody go into the room and take one of his boots. And because I was with him, I wasn't the guy. So we went on for the rest of two weeks. He's running around crying in the blues because his boot, one of his boots is gone. And every once in a while, I would go out to the lobby and I'd call up the room and he'd answer and I go and hang up and I did that on the whole trip <laughs> and he was so depressed we got back to Boston we're standing down by the luggage rack and he's we're all waiting for bags and all of a sudden the belt starts and he's standing there and down the belt there's this boot coming down the <laughs> <laughs> So, oh my, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, things like that. Do you have like a an all time favorite hockey moment? Um, maybe it's uh, your most favorite goal that you've ever done. I think my favorite moment uh, <clears throat> was the 1972 Summit Series. Uh, it's uh, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary and. Uh, 2022, uh, you guys probably have never even looked it up. But in 1972, during the Cold War, there was an eight-game series between the Soviets, uh, who had been winning the world championship and the Olympics and everything like that, and the NHL, also uh, an NHL team, which was called Team Canada. And it was right when the WHA came in, and guys like... Uh, Gordy Howe and Bobby Hall were not available. <clears throat> Gary Cheevers in there. <clears throat> and the Russians were in mid-season form. It was in September. And uh, we uh, played the first game in Montreal. Uh, we got waxed like 7-3. Uh, and all of Canada was shocked. And they were they were in tremendous shape. We weren't, you know, we'd only been in training camp for three weeks and it wasn't a serious thing but we knew after that it was serious we won next uh, two nights later in toronto we tied in winnipeg and we lost in vancouver and uh, then we had to go back to moscow for four games and uh, the um, we went to sweden for two games and that got ugly uh, it was so bad that the uh, the swedes were calling us gangsters and everything like that and even the Canadian ambassador spoke out against us. And we were all guys that had hated each other. We're all from different teams. Uh, we went to Moscow and we knew that we had to come together. And we had a three goal game in game five and we lost 5-4. <clears throat> we had three goal lead we lost 5-4. So now we have lost three, won one and tied one. And, uh, but then game five was the, um, 
the first time that we had controlled large segments of periods that we were carrying the play to them. And we won game six. We won game seven. Oh. The series is tied going into game eight. And <clears throat> they decide that they're going to change the referees. And for game eight, and, and we almost don't play game eight. Mm -hmm. Well, we do. And it's 10 o'clock, 8 o'clock in Moscow, 10 o'clock in Canada in the morning. And the entire country of Canada shuts down. The schools, and they don't have TVs in the schools, they send the kids home. To watch this game. Wow. To watch this game. And the whole country shuts down. You know, 20, 25 million people at that time. And we came out of the first period, 2-2. Uh, uh, we go into the second period. Uh, we end up uh, coming out of the second period, losing 5-3. And we're sitting in the dressing room. We're saying, okay, uh, let's just tie it up and get the F out of Dodge. That's what <laughs> we're saying in the dressing room. Two minutes before we go on the ice, our management comes in and said the Russians sent uh, the Soviets. They were Soviets at that time, not Russians. And they, they uh, I mean, they bugged our phones. They woke us up. They stole our beer. They stole half of our steaks. Uh, anything to disrupt us. Wow. And they come down and say, the Soviets sent a delegation down. That the game ends up in the tie. Under international rules, they win the series because they've scored more goals. They would have scored one more goal. And we're sitting there saying, where's this written? This isn't part of the deal. That's If the game's tied, that's going to happen. So we make it 5-4 uh, with uh, uh, about six minutes in. And then we switch ends. And with uh, nine minutes to go, we tied 5-5. The goal just doesn't turn the light on. And one of our people come down to the penalty box, and the whole rink is lined. There's probably 15 feet from the boards to the stands. is lined by Red Army soldiers with Ooh. guns. Mm -hmm. Big guns. And they're going to throw them out. And Peter Mahalovich sees this and jumps the boards, and we run over and we're swinging our sticks at these uh, Red Army guys to get our the head of our delegation back. And the Russians are standing on the ice looking at us, going, "What's going on?" And so we have a complete disruption. We tie the game up with five five, and with, with three minutes to go, we've got a two on one, and. Uh, on the two-on-one -on -one is myself and my defense partner are the two guys going on the two-on-one -on -one because we know that if we don't win, they're going to claim the series. And Paul Henderson scores the winning goal with 34 seconds to go. Wow. So we won the last three games in Moscow in the Cold War. It's the greatest comeback in the history of sports as far as I'm concerned. And that was, that's my, my uh, so-called greatest moment. Wow. wow. That's a moment. 
that is a moment. <laughs> did you celebrate there or get the hell out of Dodge, like you said? Well, we uh, we did celebrate. And uh, the next day we had to fly to Czechoslovakia. And uh, we had to play the Czechs two days later because they were the world championships because we had scheduled that game. And we ended up tying them up with eight seconds to go. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. But then we flew back to Canada and uh, the, the whole country went crazy. Wow. So it was quite an experience. I just can't Sounds even like imagine it. that pressure oh. from like the state of like the political world and the all you know the tension from that sort of like with the team usa and the movie miracle and, and that people know of of the real story but um did that like cross your mind while you guys were playing like well this is this was 72 like, this was before before the full before the miracle the u.s right, the u.s miracle this was 72 and it was the first time that the pros Canada used to get their ass kicked by the Soviets and they actually stopped going to the Olympics and the world championships because the Soviets were, you know, they were as professional as, as we were. That was their job. And uh, the Canadians couldn't compete and were tired of getting embarrassed until we showed up. So that was the new, uh, you know, and then what dad did was that it just changed the whole culture in the National Hockey League. Yeah, Europeans can play because up to that point, it was not they they couldn't they couldn't take it. But you weren't like concerned about like the political aspect of like importance of winning that series. Oh yeah, you kidding? Are you kidding? Oh well, yeah. <laughs> once you know, once you go into uh, you go into uh, we landed in Moscow, and you're going to see you know, soldiers, Red Army soldiers, everything walking around with Kalashnikovs, which is a common occurrence. And there was no cars on the streets. There was only buses and, uh, and government vehicles on these big streets. That's all you saw. The, uh, you looked at the culture and in Moscow, there was no houses. It was all buildings and it was uh, yellow brick buildings. It was all apartment buildings. And uh, they had big piles of yellow bricks. And they said, where did those bricks come from? They said, well, they, they tore down a building. I said, they're going to haul them away. So no, they're going to use the same bricks to build the next building. Wow. And, oh. and, and the, uh, to give you an idea, uh, the, the electrical lines, like your telephone lines, your electricity lines, everything, there was no, it went from apartment building on top of the buildings, from apartment building to apartment building. There was no telephone posts down the streets or anything like that. So it was, it was an entirely different way of life and different culture. And, uh, and nobody smiled, nobody, uh, you know, and there was no reds or greens or blues. Everybody was charcoal brown uh, in their clothing. So it was, it was a cold war. It was an entirely different culture. Wow. And we were getting, we were getting firsthand knowledge of it. And they had a big uh, department store called Gums. And uh, we walked through there and, uh, you know, sometimes some of the stores were open and they had lines for food and some of the stores were closed. And because they had no foods or had no goods. 
Wow. So I just feel like I don't know that there's anything that the current players could like they have none they've not experienced something like that from the political like they're not going over to these other countries that are communist or socialist and like having to <laughs> like see the the red and the guns and like just in that state in which it was and then to like go all right well now go go play some hockey against these guys and hope they don't like <laughs> Do yeah, something yeah. to you on the ice, and that you can still play. And, and, then, and then, we, then we went to Czechoslovakia, and went, you know, to Prague, and the Soviets had invaded Czechoslovakia, and we're in downtown Prague, and there's tanks on street corners, Soviet tanks on street corners, to control the Czechs. And you're like, ah, we're just here to play hockey. Like, how right. do you, yeah. you can't, like, this you can't. Is, yeah, this is. I don't think there's going to be a parade today, right? So. Oh gosh, no! Wow, oh, man. That's so, but a... that's what that's what the Cold War was, and uh, you know, it was the first time that we we had a you know a real look at it, and uh, you know, I mean, just going to uh, that's why I signed up for Team Canada the trip to Moscow, to Russia, to the Soviet Union to see what their lifestyle was like. What do you think of the Russian style of, of play of hockey? Uh, I think it's um, it's a puck control game, mm-hmm. which, which is you know more from my era. The difference is the width of the rink right. uh, is because the defense uh, they can move the puck back and forth, and the defense can drift. You get 15 feet wider, so you can hold it farther while guys crisscross and get in the holes. Uh, in the North American game, you don't have that 15 feet, so you have to move the puck a little bit faster, and it becomes a little bit more of a north-south game than an east-west game. But on the Olympic-sized rinks, uh, an east-west, you know, guys can pick up speed and get in ho- holes, and the guys can hold the puck a little bit longer to wait while they wait till the guy gets there. So it's a, a little different style. But their, their whole thing was the circle back puck control and be trying to hit the blue line with numbers and speed. And the, and the difference was that, the, you know, we had a lot of our guys were 30-ish at that time. And uh, the experience was, uh, as far as the defensemen that we had, you know, it didn't matter what they did, crisscrossing or anything. When they got to the blue line, we were plugging the holes and forcing the turnovers. And the because we were better than the amateurs that they had played before. And that was frustrating to them. What did you love most about playing hockey? My afternoon nap. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because I was good at it. (laughs) I was an all-star. I know, come on. (laughs) No, I I think... uh, I think it was the uh, satisfaction of the competition. Uh, two guys going in the corner and one guy comes out with a puck. Uh, you're challenged uh, three or four times a week. You know, you, you uh, football you play once a week. And baseball you play six times a week or seven times. And it, there's always the next game. There's always the next thing. Uh, the body contact, the physical intimidation. Uh, you know, uh, the ability to, if you really want to hurt somebody, you can. 
uh, is your choice whether you do that or whether you don't do it. Uh, today, there's too many TV cameras. Uh, Gordy Howe couldn't play today because he'd be suspended all the time. <laughs> so I, th I think the, you know, the, the competition level is just uh, something that, that I craved. Yeah. Who did you fight the most? Guys that took cheap shots at me. <laughs> That's a good reason. Fair and, enough. Uh, I mean, in my younger days, I would initiate a confrontation because being young and aggressive. Later, uh, I would become uh, retaliatory vicious, which means I would have no qualms if I, uh, of opening somebody up. Yeah, that comes with age, right? You're just like well, it's, it's eh. like, you know, I'll, I'll play, I'll play you legit. But if you want to, you want to take a cheap shot at me, well, Let's we've, go. just, we've just gone to a different plateau. Yeah, they better watch out. Yeah, <laughs> so. you're a tough guy on the ice. I wouldn't mess with you. So. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, I've man. got the, I've got the scars to prove it too. So I'm in the dark here. <laughs> <laughs> No. Okay. Tell us about, um, do you have a favorite guy you played with or against? Like you, you played with Ray Bork, uh, as you mentioned, Terry O'Reilly, Mike Milbury, um, obviously your coach, Don Cherry, but like, do you have a favorite guy you played with like a teammate either? Um, and those aren't any of the guys on the Rangers, but, or any of the guys from that time. I, I think one of, uh, uh, one of the great guys that I played with. I mean, Wayne Cashman was a guy that you could go to war with. And, uh, you know, uh, the other guy who was the heart and soul of the Bruins when I was there was Terry O'Reilly. And Terry, there could be a hundred pucks on the ice and he'd want the one that you had. <laughs> and I remember my first practice with him was, uh, and, and this is true, I go to Boston. And Bobby Orr picks John Rattani up at the Sinesta Hotels. And we have practice at Winthrop High School. And uh, so we go over to Winthrop High School and they have a rink next, you know, attached to the high school. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I put my long johns on and I turn to Donnie Marcotte and I said, Donnie, where's the, where's the washroom? He says, you have to go into school. It's okay. So I walk in the school and now I'm in the hallway and there's a boys room right there. And I go into the boys room. Now we're in the NHL, right? I go in the boys room and I got to do my business and uh, there's no stalls. There's just toilets. So I sit down and do my business. Right? And all of a sudden the bell rings and all of a sudden all these kids are walking in on me. And I'm sitting there with, uh, sitting down with my Drawers down, right? And so this is the NHL, right? This is perfect. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I go out on the ice, and I start skating around with a puck, and Terry O'Reilly comes and takes it. Eh, no problem. I go get another puck. He comes and takes that. I go get a third puck. He comes and takes that. It's no, no, no. So now I go get the puck back. The reason he was doing it, he wanted to play keep away, which is one puck, two guys. And 
you know, you keep going back at each other and trying to beat each other and everything like that. And he knew I was really one of the best in the league at handling the puck stick handling, everything like that. And uh, after about a month, I wasn't sure I could beat him anymore. He became that good. And he actually led the Bruins in scoring for a couple of years while I was there. He made himself into a complete player. And it, it was such uh, such a fun thing to watch. Right? As many as he, you know, he was a fighter or anything like that, he became such a you know a force on the ice with and without the puck. And that was a really entertaining to watch. I bet. So would you say that he became a better player because he played keep away with you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I mean, yeah, I became a better player, too. I mean, he was so good with his feet. And, uh, you know, and then we, you know, finally we retired and I moved back and I'm playing with the Bruins alumni and we're skating around in a warm-up before a game. And I got a puck and, I mean, we're 40 years old. He comes and takes my puck. Again. Wow. Old habits never die. He wasn't done. He wasn't done. But that's Taz. That's why they call him the Tasmanian Devil. Oh, that's funny. Perfect name for him. What did they call you? Oh, sorry, Breeze. Oh, yeah. What did they call you? Parky. You know, that was it. Stupid at times. So that worked too. No. jeez. Breezy, what were you saying? I was going to say, do you have a current favorite player? Do you, I mean, do you follow any teams currently? You watch it actively? Do you think there's uh, yeah, I, I, the best? I like uh, guys that are good with a puck. I mean, I get a kick out of Patrick King, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> not so happy about some of his off-fight stuff, but uh, on the ice, he's, uh, he's really fun to watch. So guys like that that are take the puck and uh, you know, every defense, if you have guys, one or two or three guys that can beat somebody one-on-one, every defensive system breaks down. Because once somebody beats somebody one-on-one, it pulls somebody out of a position. And, and then you can really generate offense. So if you have, you know, two or three guys a team or four guys a team, it would be unbelievable that can beat people one-on-one. Uh, you know, your offense is going to click. So a guy like Patrick King can do that, uh, you know, and the, guy, the guys that are good with the puck and good passers. Uh, you know, the, uh, I mean, Bergeron for the Bruins is, a, you know, a both side of the puck guy, uh, and uh, he makes a lot of great players. Uh, you know, I, I kind of watch Boston a little bit because, you know, my kids are big Bruins fans, and they're always on me. Did you watch the game? Did you watch the game? So, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, you know, between you and, and or kind of being credited with creating the the most you know offensive defenseman kind of pair up, who would you say nowadays lead like leads the NHL and the best of being the best offensive defenseman? Well, I think one of the most gifted guys uh, is uh, Carlson out and. Uh, San Jose, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a good puck handling defenseman is like a quarterback. They'll speed up, slow down the game. Um, they'll they'll sell you one thing, I mean, and do something else. I mean, I know I'm going to pass it over here, but I'm going to sell this over here. 
and you're selling that, you know you're going to make the play over there. And so you look for those defensemen that will go back against the flow. Right. But I don't think that the kids today or in the last 20 years have really not been encouraged to try and beat people one-on-one. Uh, I hear this from, uh, they do, they have to take it upon themselves. Uh, I have a grandson that plays and, uh, uh, and I keep, you know, and his my son, his father stresses to him to, you know, take it, do some magic. Uh, don't be afraid. Take it, take it for a whirl. And, uh, you know, you want to go coast to coast, go ahead, you know, and uh, generally, uh, Hockey today, coaches and youth levels don't really encourage, encourage kids to uh, develop that skill to beat people one on one, and it's you know kind of a shoot it up the boards and tip it, uh, dump and chase, chip and chip and go, and uh, uh, which is really kind of interesting because when I look at, uh, I remember coaching my boys, and uh, the first thing I would tell the team was says. If you shoot it in, I bench you. And, oh. you have to, and they looked at me, and the reason was very simple. In youth hockey, you only have one practice, maybe two practices a week. You don't sit there and work on drills of standing up and forcing turnovers. So youth hockey teams do not know how to stand up and force the turnover. So if they're not going to stand up, why are you shooting it in? That's the theory of the game, you know, carry it in, you know, if you can carry it in and get in with a possession with possession, uh, you're going to generate offense. So, uh, you know, when you look at youth hockey team, they don't know how to stand up. So why are you dumping it in? And you have to realize where the dump and chase came from. And the first few years of expansion, the, uh, the, the original six was kicking the crap out of the expansion teams. Because the, the original six, we pra constantly practiced standing up and forcing the turnovers. And the expansion teams didn't have the quality of players that could carry it across the blue lines. And they were getting killed. So Philadelphia started to dump and chase, not because they wanted to, because they felt, felt they had to. Mm -hmm. And it, but that has now become the norm, dump and chase. And, uh, uh, you know, I prefer the, you know, if they're going to give me a little room, go hang them. Yeah. A little bit of room is, uh, is a mile in hockey, right? Six inches is three feet. Yeah. <laughs> it's a way to look at it. Yeah. How yeah, is your uh, induction into the Hall of Hockey Hall of Fame? How did you feel about all that? I was, you know, I'm from Toronto. And uh, when I got inducted, uh, they didn't have a Hall of Fame. They closed the one that was there because they were moving to a new building. So I didn't even get a chance to go and see myself oh, until no. a few years later. Oh. And, and just lucky. But I went in with uh, Guy Lafleur and Tony Esposito. And, uh, you know, it was great because my parents were there and my family was there. Uh, all my kids and uh, my wife had a, the best time and I had to go to, go to the room at 11 o'clock and put the kids to bed because she wasn't going to do it. 
So. And we're still married. Hey. Still Priorities. Married. Mm -hmm. Priorities. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to so, think about this, Brad, but. Yeah, I don't know, but. Let's, all of, let's jump into the final three. Okay. <laughs> all of our guests, we ask everybody this. So who is your favorite hockey hunk? Hockey hunk? Yeah, like who hunk. do you think is the hunkiest looking guy in, in, in the NHL? <laughs> they all wear helmets and face shields. How would I know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we get a lot of... Um, Henrik Lundqvist and, you know, guys like that, that you see it with their mask off, you know, modeling in GQ and stuff. <laughs> really? Yeah. I actually, actually, I did a, uh, a thing uh, for, uh, what the heck was it? Back in the day, they did all different sports. I did, uh, you know, an underwear ad, national underwear ad with, uh, uh, I think it was Fruit of the Loam. Mm -hmm. And they had all different athletes from different sports. And uh, I was there with skates over my shoulder, a t-shirt, these boxer briefs on. So are no, you just, are you nominating yourself? <laughs> no, they were yeah. No, they were they were boxers. They weren't briefs, they were boxers. All right. They hadn't invented briefs yet. So but I don't think anybody ever qualified or did that kind of stuff back then. Yeah. Do you oh. have a favorite hockey lady? Hockey lady. Yeah. It could be your wife. It could be uh, um, a woman player, coach, or anything current or in the past. I think one, one of the person that people I got along with over the years was uh, uh, Christine Simpson, who, uh, you know, is kind of a uh, uh, works in Canada. And she met her through the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame, et cetera. And she branched out and, you know, everything from interviewing to things like that. Uh, just the one her, her brother, Craig Simpson, played with Edmonton. So uh, nice, nice, nice girl. Well, I got to give you a little bit of background. So we uh, we were asking, you know, favorite hockey stories uh, from all of our all of our guests, and there seems to be a trend in Sidney Crosby stories. So rather than being surprised, we just asked, "Do you have a Sidney Crosby story?" Do I have a Sidney Crosby story? Uh, <clears throat> I think, uh, yeah, I do. I do. Ooh, uh, all right. I mean, a few years ago, the. Uh, the NHL came up with a senior bonus pension plan and it involved uh, for guys that play you know, from before 1985 when they changed the pension system and everything like that. And you got to award X number of dollars for each year and you get uh, that you played. And the uh, owners put in $3 million a year and, and the uh, the Players Association put in $3 million a year. And <clears throat> a few years ago, the uh, uh, Fear, Don Fear, who heads up the players thing, was wanting to cancel that. And the owner said, well, we're, we're, we're still putting our $3 million in, you know, which was Bettman. And uh, it was uh, 
there was risk that this program would go out, which benefits a lot of guys from my era, et cetera. And uh, all of a sudden, Sidney Crosby stepped up and said, no, no. And, and, and uh, the weight of his opinion uh, kept it going. So uh, I thank him for that. Good guy. We love Sid Such here. A good guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, where can people uh, keep up with you today? Do you do Instagram? Are you on TikTok? Uh, where can? Uh, <laughs> do you have a website? Hey, you, you've got a book. No, you've got no, a couple of books no. and stuff. So. Yeah, you can't find them. They're collector's items now, because <laughs> you can't find them. But. Uh, I don't know. I got a, a call today uh, from a friend of mine in Canada who's in the marketing business, and there's a new website starting in Canada called a Swedish website called Memo, M-E-M-M-O, which is similar to Cameo, mm -hmm. right? And uh, trying to recruit me for that, and I'm calling my kids to find out do I really want to do that or anything? Uh, so uh, that's what I'm weighing now. That's about the only way uh, yeah, that uh, uh, I, you know, I was, as I told you, Rachel, I was thinking about, uh, you know, mm -hmm. doing a website, uh, doing stories. And yep. uh, then recruiting a lot of uh, guys I played with or against to get their stories and everything like that. Uh, so, which would be, place to go and have a few laughs and learn about things on the ice and off the ice uh, from my era or other eras. So it's something that I'm weighing, uh, you know, how much I want to work at it is another question. Uh, so, but it's in the back of my mind. Can't interrupt the golf game. So priorities again. <laughs> yeah, actually, I play more in the winter because I'm in Florida, but uh, in the summer I'm up in the great state of Maine mm -hmm. on the lake. So I don't play much golf up there. Yeah, summers up there are, are beautiful. I was, I've been up yeah. there for, oh, I was up there all summer. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maine's for, Maine's for the kids and the grandkids. Yeah. That's a good, it's a great place. Well, we'll yeah. have to, Breezy and I will, uh, we'll stay on you to make sure you get the, your podcast up and going and, and uh, telling your stories. Well, Breezy's good with names and marketing and, uh, we're here to help you. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate this so much. Like you've got an entire career that there's no way we can fit into, you know, an hour and 15 minutes and, and stuff. So, you know, we'll have to have you back on and maybe you can get nifty or, or achievers to come with you and you guys can come tell some stories together, you know? You bring the beer, we'll bring the stories. Sounds good. We'll just like, <laughs> we'll send an Uber Eats car or something to your house. And uh, you guys just all sit here in front of the, of the video. <laughs> we'll just chat with you. Yeah. So one last advice to everybody that plays hockey, right? Mm -hmm. You can always buy teeth. Go get them. <laughs> Thanks for coming over to our House of Hockey podcast and hanging out with us. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. Just look for House of Hockey podcast. We'll be back next week.